this, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. I think if we really do a better job of defining what we do and what our role is and how we add to society, you know, and, and sort of define our set of practices and our, our philosophies in a way that is actually adding value, I think that would make it more interesting to people. Welcome to the award-winning Interest in Health and Safety podcast, making health and safety as important as everything else we do in business. And now your host, health and safety specialist, mentor and speaker, Colin Nottage. Hi there, Colin Nottage here and welcome to the Interesting Health and Safety podcast. Today I've got the absolute pleasure of being joined by Ron Gant. Um, Ron uh, runs a consultancy out in the uh, out in the states, um, uh, sort of resilience engineering, safety, human and organisational performance uh, consulting, and um, you know, and he really, I suppose, you know, he's interested in helping organisations create this, the conditions, create the environments for for people to flourish at work, which I think is an absolutely a wonderful way of looking at looking at health and safety. Hey, look, let me hand you over to Ron. Hey Ron, thank you so much for coming on the show. Could you um, could you just sort of give us a little bit of background to yourself, please? Yeah, sure, sure. Uh, so I, uh, uh, I, I'm like a lot of safety people, at least here in the U.S., where I did not intend to be in the safety profession at all. I, uh, you know, my actually my father was a firefighter and retired as a fire chief um, to start a company, a consulting company in safety. And he did that back when I was still in, in school, uh, like, you know, middle school, you know, uh, high school. So, and I always swore I'd never join the company, but uh, shortly after high school, I, you know, tried to be a musician for a little while and found myself in need of a job. And so I asked, I asked dad for a temporary job and, you know, just kind of inspecting fire extinguishers and things like that. Okay. And uh, he, he let me in and here I am 19 years later. Uh, in this temporary job, uh, <laughs> you know, um, but you know, it, like like a lot of people, it it's sort of you know, it's not a profession that necessarily comes to mind when you're a kid. Like, oh, I want to be a safety person when I grow up. But um, once you you dive into it, you, I don't know. For me, the the part that was so fascinating was getting to see that is so fascinating still getting to see so many different types of industries and how work gets done in different ways. And it's always so fascinating and interesting and how people deal with it. So it's just, it's a great profession. So I've kind of, you know, worked my way up from inspecting fire extinguishers, got some degrees and certifications and things like that. But uh, now I spend most of my time working with organizations, really trying to help them understand uh, what's really going on. Right, because we always have like a conception of what's happening in our workplace, but uh, a lot of times we, you know, we have a hard time looking past that conception. And so that's that's what I that's what I do these days is kind of help them see a little bit more about what's going on at the ground floor. If that makes sense. Yeah, I, I'd love to, I'd love to talk that talk about that a bit more surely um because mm-hmm. i think that's really fundamental but i mean i you know i didn't go straight to health and safety you know i i started off in operational management and um and then it was probably about uh about 10 years 10 years into my career that i really felt that i wanted to do something different not 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 be totally operational based but start to help the business that i was working for more so i did a lot of time in, in one organization and helped them and um and I thought that brought, I brought, that brought loads to me to the role because I had an understanding of the of the of the operational side and the people that were involved in it. And so I think it's really it's really important. But I think what is really interesting, what you said there, and, and I think it's something that we've got to address, is is the fact that it's not seen as a as a, a role to actually go into. Is it? You know, you know, people people look at it. I mean, I call this the interesting health and safety podcast because. People think health and safety is pretty boring, and uh, you know, and I just wanted to just try and twist, it, turn it on its head totally. But what, what can we? What do you think we need to do to make it more attractive for people to come into, you know, from from university or from school or whatever, you know? What do you think we need to do? I think, I, yeah, I, it's an excellent point and an excellent question. For me, I think part of the 
challenge we have is that it's like, even for me, when people ask me what I do on a daily basis, it's hard to describe unless, you know, unless, you know, I'm just describing it in terms of some sort of compliance function. Right. And so that's the easiest one for people to understand. So like you're, you're, in, you're in an airplane with people, which you know, who is in an airplane these days, but uh, you know, but uh, you know, you're, you're chatting with someone and they say, Hey, what do you do? You know? And Oh, I'm, I'm in health and safety. What's that? And you're like, okay, well, do I go into the whole long discussion or do I just tell them, Oh, it's like OSHA compliance, you know, or, or ASE compliance, <laughs> yeah. you know? And then, so that and that sort of, you know, way of answering the question it leads to a very uninteresting job. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Like a kid's not going to be like, you know, what I want to do is I want to enforce regulations all day. Not like a cop, though. You know, um, not <laughs> nothing too exciting. Um, you know, maybe we should uh, all have guns. Maybe that's the answer. If we all had guns, then more people would come in, eh? That's it. I saw- I saw something from the onion one time that had like a, like an OSHA strike a SWAT team, you know, descends on an office that had an uninspected fire extinguisher. I thought it was funny. <laughs> 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 uh, <laughs> um, anyways. Yeah. So I, I just, it, I think if we, if we really do a, a better job of defining what we do and what our role is and how we add to society, you know, and, and sort of define, you know, our sets, of, our set of practices and our, our philosophies in a way that is actually adding value. I think that would make it more interesting to people, you know, um, I'll, especially this day and age where you're seeing a lot of young people, I mean, particularly here in the United States, I assume it's similar in a lot of other countries. Um, our, you know, social justice is a big issue, you know, no matter what side you're on, improving the world, you know, is, is it definitely a thing a lot of companies are into? And if we could align health and safety with that much more firmly, mm-hmm. I feel like that would make it something more interesting. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think, you know, if, if the role can be one that is more of an enabling role and a supporting role and a helping role and a learning role, rather than a, a you know, sort of a, a policing role. Which is how it's well, it's been seen, and I think that is definitely changing. I think you know I, I speak to a lot more people now that that take a much much more proactive approach to to it rather than just you know ticking boxes and going out the clipboard. Yeah, but, but but it still hasn't got that. It hasn't got that image, and you know, and, and we need to you know we need to work on that we, as, a, as an industry. We need to work on. That. Absolutely, and well, and if for no other reason, then otherwise we're just going to continue to have people. Um, falling into the profession, you know, whereas it would probably be ideal if we could develop some sort of easy track for people to get into the profession, right? And then, then you're getting more of a kind of defined professional boundary of, you know, here's the things that we want people to know, you know, I mean, whereas in our current state where people fall into it, it's, you know, sort of like, okay, what can we get you, how can we get you up to speed really fast, yep. you know, rather than kind of grooming people and mm-hmm. like an apprenticeship almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we got a lot of work to do. Yeah, that's right. But it's exciting, isn't it? You know, it's a, it's a, I think it's just, you know, even though it's a challenging time for us all, it's also a really exciting time. And um, you know, and, and I've said this to a number of people. You know, I see the role now. I see my job. And get, I can I can work in any single every any business and, and work in any part of that business. And and if you can engage in in not just the operational side but all other bits of the business, then you're going to really really be Bring something of real value, and if, and if you're going to achieve that, then 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 we're going to be we're going to be good. But uh, hey, that's where we've got to go. Um, when um you know, you know when we were when we were talking um, previously just before just before we came on on air here, you know, we I I was mentioning about you 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 did a piece on drift. Are you able to just just expand a little bit on, on, on what you what you mean by it, and, and just talk a little bit about about you know what you uh, what you wrote about really? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, so drift is is something near and dear to my heart. So I, uh, and by that I mean it's part of my PhD research, uh, and so I've been thinking about it a lot for a long time, um, and to the point of insanity. Uh, but <laughs> but uh, no, so drift is a it, so the, it's a concept that's thrown around a lot, um, and usually related to other terms that people may have heard of like normalization of deviance, um, 
and it's usually related to you know violations or something like that but the way i define it is it's sort of like a persistent adjustment of how we do work away from some sort of prescription you know whether it's like a procedure or a rule or something mm-hmm. or some sort of informal norm like some sort of um accepted risk tolerance within a system now not to get too kind of technical but i mean kind of an easy example of that is um you know, if you just think about how, uh, you know, you, you implement a practice in an organization, a new policy, right? And you have an ideal for how that policy is going to be, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is, this is the letter of the law. This is what we want to do. But then that policy goes inside the organization and it starts to interact with other parts of the operations, right? It starts to interact with goals that people have at an individual or even a group level. Mm-hmm. And people have to find a way to meld your pro- your new policy with all those other things. And so interpretations happen. And those interpretations sort of shift the meaning of, of how that practice is going to get done in the real world, how it's going to be practiced, if you will. Um, and that, in, in effect, becomes drift, right? So over time, you know, you had an intention and that, you know, the way it's practiced moves away from that intention and drifts away. That's where that kind of term comes from. Um, and where, where I'm really interested in drift is, is often a lot, not often, almost in exclusively when you look at the, the books that are written about it or the research that's been done about it, it's always in retrospect and it's, it's after an accident most of the time yeah. or some sort of failure. You know, so we look at it and we say, man, drift is horrible. If, if we only got rid of drift, that would be good and we'd all be okay. But the more I kind of thought about it, the more it, it you know, I was thinking, okay, what is drift? Like, okay, if we, if we want to deal with it, then we need to understand it first. Where's it coming from? And if you go back to that kind of example I used about, you know, us implementing our new policy, it's coming from people finding a way to meld different goals, you know, with the scarce resources they have, just trying to get work done, right? Mm-hmm. And so in effect, it's it's actually, you know, just normal work is what it is. Mm-hmm. And so it take that sort of spin, like it's people adapting to, you know, the normal messiness of work in real time, then you start to see, okay, well, maybe Drift's not, always bad and so you know number one i think we would conclude then that drift probably is happening a lot more often than we think Mm -hmm. if drift comes from just the complexity of work well all work is complex all of it there's i've never you know seen a work process that i've ever looked at closely and thought well that's simple um you know all of it is is pretty difficult when you get into the day-to-day way it gets done and so, you know, there's always a little bit of, you know, kind of people having to put pieces together in, in weird ways. And, and so drift, I think, is happening on a daily basis in most organizations, if not all of them. And if that's true, then that leads to the second point. Maybe it's not always bad. In fact, it's quite likely it's usually good. And that a lot of the things that we attribute to success like oh this is a successful innovation for example may actually be a product of drift more than a product of you know smart ceos and things like that mm-hmm. um and so that that's where my kind of thinking is these days is how do we identify it in real time and then take advantage of it not just try to eliminate it because i don't know that we can eliminate it if that makes sense no no definitely and i think you know i mean we we expect our people to be adaptable, you know, to to think on their feet. You know, these are these are terms that uh, that get used all the time, and um, you know, and I can remember saying to somebody a few episodes back about, um, you know, if we, if if we um, if you got into a situation where you're in conflict with with your with your workforce, you know, say there's a union and, and and they decided to work to rule, you know, would your rules actually stand up <laughs> to to allow them to work? And, 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 I, and I don't think it would, and that's the and that's the thing. And so, so, so when you're going, you know, so when you're going about putting a policy or procedure into place, then what, what, what's um, you know, had, you know, what would you advise then of a good way of doing that? Because if you just if you just dump it in there, 
it's it's gonna it's gonna fall apart, isn't it? You know. So, mm-hmm. so how do you how do you go about you know sort of building a procedure then that, that actually does get accepted and and has the flexibility, I suppose, to you know to work in a workplace? Yeah, I would almost. You'd have to think of it, it's like a living thing, right? You're not, you know, think of it like a doctor giving a prescription to a patient. You know, you know, good doctors will, will recognize that you, you, you give someone a prescription and then you follow up to see how that's going. Yep. You know, um, it's like, you know, the classic take two pills and call me in the morning sort of situation, right? So we need to see how it's, how, how you know, we know that, okay, this, Prescriptions probably good for most people, but is it good situation in this context in this with these people? Um, you know, policies and procedures are little more than predictions, right? We're predicting how work is going to happen in the future. So, you know, a I think we want to make sure our predictions are as good as possible. So, you know, get good data. Get, and by data, I don't just mean numbers. I mean, you know you know, get uh, in, input from the workforce, you know, get input from other you know, people who may be, you know, uh, touching that policy or procedure. Sometimes that means procurement and things like that. But then once you implement it, make sure there's a feedback loop. Make sure you're validating, okay, is this procedure actually working? Is it actually helping people? And the, the sort of mindset shift that I try to, to get across to people is procedures and rules are just resources for action. Right? They're just tools that people use to help them know what to do in a situation. Yep. And when you think of it like that, it sort of makes it obvious what you need to do. Okay, we need to ask the question, is it helping them? Is this actually adding value to them being able to get work done? If it's not, then they're going to violate it at some point or there's going to be a mistake. Like, you know, where, where work is difficult, you have violations or you have errors. So if our procedures are just making things harder, then maybe that's a bad procedure, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, definitely. And I, I think my experience as well is, is, you know, there are so many, there are so many procedures that I find that are written, and I've been guilty of writing these things, you know, of, um, of, that are written for jobs that probably don't actually need anything. You know, they, they, you know, they get, and, and then, and then the really important stuff then, the really important stuff gets lost in amongst everything else. Cause there are so many things that people are being asked to follow that they don't actually then know well, what are the important ones here? You know, what's the stuff that is really, really key. And for me, I think, you know, something like a contractor, contractor control. Okay. You know, so you've got some guys that are coming to do some work on site. Um, and and that that gets lost in amongst a load of procedures about display screen equipment and about um, you know how to make a cup of tea or whatever whatever else you want to put a procedure for. Whereas in actual fact, good contract control is really really fundamental. But then in a minute, hopefully, we'll talk a little bit about what makes good contract control. What does that look like? Because I don't think it's necessarily those and those are tick lists and a three hour induction. You know. So <laughs> you know, what do you? I mean, how do you? You know, how do you go about, um, and I'll ask you a question now, how do you go about, uh, you know, sort of, you know, sort, sorting out, well, what does need something that's written and robust and, and what doesn't? Because not many people at the sharp end of the business walk around with procedures in their hands, you know, very, very rarely, you know. So how do you, how do you make that distinction? Yeah, that's a, that's a, and that's a really good and important point. Um, so I think one thing that we have to do to help us answer this question is to, you know, and so the overall broad way to answer the question is, okay, understand what, how people get work done and what would help them get it done better, right? Better, safer, whatever. Um, and when we do that, we start to see very interesting things. Like, for example, the way people interact with procedures varies depending upon how much expertise they have, yep. right? So. Uh, you know, I made my coffee on a coffee machine, you know, uh, this morning. And the first time I got that coffee machine, I read the instructions to see how to make it. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was years ago. I've not read that procedure in years. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I have no need to because I have a I have a procedure in my head. Now, is what I'm doing to the letter of that procedure? I actually have no idea. Mm-hmm. I interact with. I mean, if you ask me, someone who's made coffee that way for years to read the procedure every morning, that's just not going to happen. 
you know, and, and I think, you know, I think that, that, that last part that I just said, that's just not going to happen is something I see a lot of managers and safety people have trouble getting over because they're so focused on what should happen. Well, you should read the procedure every morning or you should, you know, fill out your pre-test cards every morning that they're not seeing what is happening and what they can do to work with it. Because if you don't, you know, if we can work with the processes that are already there and actually enable people to figure out what they, you know, need in order to get work done, then we don't have to fight people. Right. So step one to get a good procedure, I think is, is understand how different people and different parts of your system are interacting with it, you know, and, and with the work and how would a procedure enable that, you know, and sometimes it can be thinking out of the box, you know, sometimes it's okay. Let's, it, let's boil it down to the three most important things that people typically forget, mm-hmm. you know, in these things. And let's post them right next to the place where they typically forget them. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it's, you know, just a quick, uh, I don't know, a little slogan you teach them that helps them remember something, right? I mean, it, it's like, I guess the question is, what are we trying to accomplish and what is the best way to accomplish it? You know, putting it down on paper often satisfies the regulator, but it, doesn't necessarily make work better. Mm. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think, you know, going back to your coffee, uh, your coffee experience, um, you know, if the, if the outcome of getting it wrong was more significant, you'd probably look at the document a little bit closer. If you were mixing, if you were mixing two chemicals together that, um, you know, rather than coffee and hot water and maybe a bit of milk, um, you know, but if you were mixing two, you know, an acid and an alkali, for argument's sake, and the and the reaction of that was going to be pretty catastrophic if you didn't get the percentages right. Then, then you may need something there to to, to help you possibly. You might, and you know, but like I'm not even sure that that necessarily is the case because like we drive every day, and that's pretty dangerous. How many of us read the driver's manual before we get in the car? You know what I mean? Um, yeah, yeah, that's true. So. I, th- I think it comes down to how people are perceiving those risks, right? Um, yeah. And this gets back actually to drift because a big feature, the thing that drives drift is sort of that normalization of risk, which sounds bad when I say it like that, but is actually something that helps us function on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. It's really important that, you know, us as safety people understand that like, you know, it's critical <laughs> for our human functioning for people to discount risk. Otherwise we'd never leave our houses. Yeah. Um, because there's so many more things in the world that can kill us on a daily basis than we think about. Mm-hmm. Um, and so asking people to be vigilant all the time just is unreasonable. So the question is, how can we help people know what to be vigilant about and when to be vigilant about it? Yeah. Because mm-hmm. if we can be vigilant about everything, you're actually drawing resources away because we only have so much attentional resources to focus in one time. So you know, drawing people back to that, you know, acid alkaline chemical reaction in that moment is partly like, okay, let, what can we do in that situation? But we also should ask the question, where are we drawing their attention away? Like if I'm asking them at the same time to be paying attention to, I don't know, a trip hazard, yeah. well, you know, maybe that's actually something that's causing more harm than good because they can't focus on two things at once. Mm, yeah. You know, you makes sense. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. I um, I was fortunate enough to talk to uh, to, to to chat with a guy called Rory Underwood, who used to play uh, rugby for for uh, England, and he was a Leicester Tigers uh, um, player, and he was a jet fighter pilot, and and oh, an amazing nice. had an amazing life. And um, and he he spoke a lot about uh, about uh, focus and awareness, and how you and how you you, you flip you flip in and out, you know, so you know. You've got to be really focused on something, but you also need to be aware of what's going on around you. But when you're aware of what's going on around you, then you ain't focused. And, you know, and you, you, you can't do the two together. You know, you can, be, you can learn to, to be very, very good at flipping in and out of it, you know, yeah. which you have to be when you're flying a jet at 500 miles an hour, 500 feet off the ground. Yeah. <laughs> Some cables coming. There's a load of birds coming. You know, you need to be also need to be looking at what's around me and say. You know, so so it's you know it's 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 really really interesting that you know you're talking about. Absolutely. So how well, do you, sorry. No, no, no. Go ahead. Yeah. No, no. I was gonna say you know so so you know so how you know so how do you how do you I suppose 
if I don't even know I want to say the word right stuff, but but how do you get people to think in the way then that you're talking about from a procedural perspective, you know, where where it's actually not necessarily, you know, ticking off we do point one, we do point two, we do point three, we do point four, but actually be able to work in an environment and, and you know, people make mistakes. You know, people are gonna make mistakes, people are gonna get stuff wrong. But is is it is you know what do we need to do to, to allow that to happen but in a safe way? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah. So I think, you know, uh, number one is, is, you know, again, like we said, going back to understanding what the purpose of the rule of the procedure is, you know, I'm reminded of a, a friend and colleague of mine, David Boris has a good way of saying, it. he said, we need rules for our rules, kind of like a, a way to validate that. But then the other piece of it is, you know, I always come back to, I just really try to make it really simple for organizations when, when we're implementing any control measure or trying to do any improvement, you know, our three kind of criteria is we want to make it easy to do the right thing, right? The thing that everybody wants, you know, hard to do the wrong thing. And then number three is really important. And this gets to, I think the heart of your question, we want to make it so that when people do the wrong thing, cause it's going to happen, right? Um, nobody dies there's no there's no catastrophic event right um because that that last part's important and and so one of the things i try to tell the organization is you know anytime you have a system that's a hundred percent reliant on people to be 100 percent perfect or else you have an accident you have a system that is designed to have accidents yep. and the only question is what what you want to do with that fact yeah right so um yeah, you know, because are you know if if you're just one sick kid the night before, so the you know worker doesn't get enough sleep and and forgets one part of the procedure away from having an accident, you're gonna have an accident because last I checked, kids get sick and mm -hmm. we have fights with our spouse or you know I'm just having a bad day, you know yeah, whatever. Yeah, 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 there's there's loads of there's loads of influences outside of work that, that exactly. make people behave the way that they behave and do what they do and you know and live like they live so exactly I mean, that's so, not a product of bad people that's just no. humanity it's, yeah. we're all we all we're all like it you know what i mean it's not it's not bad people at all exactly. that point you were saying then about you know about um about making it easy to do the right thing and make it difficult to do the wrong thing which i really really liked um and then we'll come on to the last one the third one can you give us some examples of of you know of, of practical things that people have done to sort of follow that that process of making it easy to do the right thing and difficult to do the wrong thing yeah absolutely uh you know, so i mean the probably the classic example that pops right in my head is something called the norman door uh which is uh, named after don norman you know anybody who's ever uh you know pushed on a door that actually was a pole door mm -hmm. uh that's not a norman door <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's or maybe it, I guess it is a Norman door, but that's that's an example of of he, he's a uh, a cognitive scientist who you know specializes in like error and error and design, and so you have these you know doors that often it's unclear just by looking at it which way to pull it you know or is it a pull or a push right mm -hmm. and so you know he advocates for example okay well if you change the design so like you have those crash bars that you see in doors where it's just you the way to engage the door is to push on it well that's obviously not going to be a pull door yep. right so the design itself kind of indicates how the door is operated that makes it easy to do the right thing and difficult to do the wrong thing mm -hmm. that's a you know very basic example but you know if you broaden that and start to ask questions within the workforce, you know, go back to the procedure, right? If we want people to use the procedure in real time, how are we making that easy for them to do? If I have to go back to the office, dig through a big old binder of procedures and find the exact right one, that's just not gonna happen. <laughs> you know, there are very few laws of human psychology, but one of them is that people are generally lazy. Um, we're all lazy. We, none of us wants to work harder than we think we have to. And so if I believe I already know how to do the job and you're asking me to go through five extra steps in order to confirm what I already know, I'm not going to do that. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just not going to happen. Mm -hmm. And so we need to, you know, okay, can we, if we need them to have that procedure there, can we 
get the procedure closer to the work environment? Can we make it easier to read? Can we make it more visual? Can we, you know, or can we make it so that a procedure is not needed, that it's just inherent in the design that, okay, you can't do it the way we don't want you to do it. It's, it's a very simple process. So, you know, there's lots of things in the design literature related to that, but I think it's also something we can think about administratively that, you know, we can, we can build into our processes but it's just a question of, okay, what are we trying to get people to do and how do we make it easier for them to do it? Mm. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, it definitely does. And I think, you know, you know, going into a, a skyscraper and operating a lift is a cracking example in it. You know, there's, there are just two, there are two buttons normally you have to press one to call the lift and then one that takes you to the floor that you want to go to. Sometimes, yeah. uh, sometimes they introduce things where you've got to swipe a card, you know, and that always confuses people <laughs> to make it work, you know, you know but, uh, but, you know, but they keep it nice and simple. And I think, you know, I, I work in the quarrying industry a lot. And, um, you know, and I've, and I've, for a number of years now, I've always said, you know, one of the big control measures that we, uh, that we like to put into place uh, or we need to put into place when we're working on, on a conveyor belt is, uh, is isolation and lock-off. Um, the drive of the conveyor is normally on the head. Um, and when the thing's designed, the I suppose I don't know if it's to save money or whatever, but the isolator gets put right at the top of the conveyor. Um, whereas the most of the issues and most of the problems happen at the bottom of the conveyor. You know, the tail end where all the spillage occurs. You know, so and that's really where that's where the isolator should be. And then you know, if that was right by where the people are going to do the work, then it just makes it easy for them to to apply the lock and isolate it, and and it works safely. But but we haven't, unfortunately, generally got that kind of uh, that kind of design right, you know. So, you know, there's a long way to go in the industry. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I think it comes back to people getting past that idea of what should happen. Okay, well, they should go take the extra few minutes for safety and and go and do all you know this you know uh, extra work in order to ensure it's safe. Yes, they should, but are they going to? You know, I'm not in the business of, of determining what people should and shouldn't do. I'm in the business of helping people be safe. And so uh, what's going to happen, you know, and how can we influence that? That's, that's really the question we should keep coming back to. You know, that's, to me, the, the, no other question really matters. And it, it's confusing to me how we're not thinking in this way. Uh, often when it's actually, I mean, it's what we're so, what you and I are talking about is nothing new. I mean, it's stuff that like, you know, psychologists, engineering psychologists, human factors, engineers, and things like that talking about since World War II, you know, um, you know, it's, and probably even before that in, in some circles, it's just for some reason in health and safety. And I think it comes back to kind of going full circle in our conversation, partly that compliance mindset. Right. We're so focused on what we should do as an organization. And then we push those shoulds down the organization, you know, that we're not interested in, okay, what, you know, kind of a bottom up safety approach where it's okay, what does it take to get the work done and how can we enable that to happen? And then what, you know, support processes are needed and, and, you know, move that up the chain rather than kind of a top down approach, um, which is unfortunate, but yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, if, if, if I ask, you know, a lot of safety professionals that I know, if I ask them what did their typical day look like, I would say going out and spending time talking to the guys at the sharp and the ladies at the sharp end of the business about how their work is done, I don't think figures that highly. You know, I, I don't think, it, you know, I don't think it's, 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 it might be, you know, it might be a number of times a week, whereas it potentially it should be a number of hours a day. You know, if we really want to, if we really want to be successful in 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 making work safe, there's two sort of ironies that I see in the safety profession that really bother me. One is, you know, we're typically occupational health and safety. That's kind of my background. I mean, all health and safety involves work, but you know, particularly in the occupational health and safety world, the weird part is we spend a lot of time talking about the health and safety part, but not a lot of time talking about the occupational part, mm-hmm. like. We, you know, for, for a profession that's designed around work, we spend very little time talking about work, just work, you know, um, which leads to the second point is, you know, we're far more interested in what the regulator thinks is safe and what the regulator thinks isn't safe than what we, than what our workers think isn't, isn't safe. 
And the, the best evidence I have of that is think of any conference that you've ever gone to, you know, that's a health and safety conference and you'll almost always have the regulator speaking and those sessions are always well attended. Mm. You almost never have workers speaking. And when you do, it's always those workers who, oh, I was hurt and, you know, yeah. you should be safer, you know, than me kind of thing. You never have someone just coming in saying, hey, here's how I do the job and this is what bothers me and this is what I'm, you know, working on and how can you help me? Mm. You know, that's just not, a, and if we had that session, it probably wouldn't even be well attended. Yeah. Um, and that's, I think, unfortunate. I think it really is. I think, and you're so right. You know, it's, um, you know, people, people, you know, when, as soon as the, uh, the inspector turns up, then people just want to be seen to be there. Don't they? That's what they, they feel they're obliged to be there. So saying that, I mean, I, you know, some of the, some of the industries I work in, the, the, I feel that the regulators have been absolutely fantastic and they, they really, you know, and, and I, and I don't think a lot of, a lot of health and sexual sort of uh, executive people, which is, is what we've got in the UK. If you actually, if you actually ask them, what do, what do they want to see a business do? I don't think it actually looks the same as what the business thinks that they want them to do. And so there's probably a bit of a communication issue there, you know, and, uh, you know, they, they don't, I don't think they want to necessarily see reams and reams and reams of documents and paper. They might ask for stuff when something's gone wrong, you know, but, but they actually want you to be doing it so that things don't go wrong. Mm-hmm. You, know, and that's, you know, and that's, that's, the, that's the fundamental, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I think that's, that, that is really an important point for us um, because anytime you have a situation where a problem is persisting in, you know, because I think in the organizations, everyone's, everyone's complaining about, you know, all this paperwork and all this regulation and, you know, that they, um, you know, that whenever you talk to safety people about, you know, I'm sure you've had these conversations too, where you talk to them, Hey, let's get out and talk to the workers. Um, and they're like, I, I would love to, but I have all this compliance stuff I have to do. So they're not excited about it either. And I agree in OSHA here, all the OSHA inspectors I've ever talked to, they're like, yeah, that's not what we want either. Mm. Um, and so whenever you have a problem where everybody in the system doesn't want the outcome, that means it's a, it's a systemic problem. Mm-hmm. It's, it's institutional. It's not happening because of evil people just like, ha ha ha, let's, you know, I hate trees. Let's get more paperwork. Um, you know, that's not what's happening. What's happening is we have a system that's driving this and the only way to change it is to think systemically. Mm. Uh, and so I think, you know, we have to, to start thinking about that and start getting subversive in, as a safety profession if we want to make change. Otherwise, we're just going to be complaining about the same stuff 10, 20, 30 years from now. Mm. It's not going to change. So, so on a, from a from a business perspective, then how does how do, how do businesses go about um, about starting to strip stuff back? Then you know what is the what is the process that, that a company should take to, to to get to this you know this, mm-hmm. this 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 just this element of just need you know just what we need rather than all the other other stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a that's a really good question because I was having a conversation um, with a group of people. Uh, over chat uh, a few days ago about bureaucracy and you know one of the things I think is really important is that you know bureaucracy has a bad name but in you know the resilience engineering literature um, David Woods talks about the difference between uh, what he calls optimality optimizing a system in order to work as efficiently as possible and what he calls graceful extensibility the ability to kind of expand performance in the face of you know, stressors or in the face of uh, challenges. And, and to me, I think we have to be very careful because one person's bureaucracy is another person's graceful extensibility. You know, it's something that enables us to slow down the organization and not go too far too fast, you know, so it pushes us beyond the boundaries because, um, and so there, you know, the way I frame it is, is I talk about, we need a validation process for our, our procedures, our rules, our controls, our, our initiatives in safety. So we have a lot of stuff that we do in the name of safety. And the only way we validate it is, is a, just a one question validation. Is it done in the name of safety? Okay. If yes, then it's good. Um, let's keep it. Uh, but that's not good enough. You know what we have to do, and this comes, uh, this is really influenced by the work of Drew Ray, uh, who, uh, I think is, done a lot of great stuff on in this idea of decluttering but you know what i 
try to get them to do is, okay, let's, let's understand the mechanism. So we all know what the outcome is. We want to not hurt people or we want something good to happen. So whatever the outcome is we're trying to get to, what's the mechanism that, you know, you doing that initiative will lead to that. Like I'm dealing with one organization right now where they want to improve their, it's a construction organization. They want to improve their tailgate meetings. Okay. How does improving our tailgate meetings get us to the outcome you want? Okay. Well, the outcome they want is they want people to get something out of them, to learn, to walk away from them feeling like, okay, I've got what I need in order to do my work today. Yep. Okay. What does that look like? Okay. You know, that looks like a conversation. It looks like talking about certain things that looks like um, making sure that the foreman for those jobs have what they need in order to lead these tailgates, whether that's competence, because a lot of foremen, you know, get promoted because they're good at their work, but not necessarily good at kind of leading those sorts of things. They're not great public speakers per se. Right. Um, but also giving them, okay, here's, things to talk about but not in a prescriptive way because if they're just sitting up there reading that doesn't help anybody you know what i mean so uh helping them identify what is necessary and then what you can then do is go out and and i, I hesitate to use this term because it, it gets overused but then actually kind of measure or see if those things are happening and if they're happening cool we're achieve, we can say we're achieving our goal if they're not happening then we're not achieving our goal. We're not getting what we want on the back end. We need to go back and rethink it or get rid of the process to get all together, you know, because doing stuff for the sake of doing stuff is stupid. Yeah. Um, so it's gotta be a process of validation. So the, what I try to get people to do is, okay, identify what you, what you're trying to get, what's the mechanism by which you, what you're doing gets you there and how can we figure out that those, that mechanism is actually happening. Mm -hmm. you know, that's, that's what we would want to, mm -hmm. to do. Yeah, no, I think, you know, one, one of the things I've definitely learned in my career is, um, is the, 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 the position of the person, the role of the person shouldn't necessarily determine whether they are the person that actually delivers that, that tailgate. I think you call it, we call them toolbox talks, things like that. You know, it, it, it wants to be the person that communicates best. And, and, and that could be somebody that drives a machine or operates a piece of equipment and they're just, and they're just really, really comfortable to, to, to talk to people because that's what they're good at. And, and we often miss that fantastic resource because, we, because they aren't in the supervisor or the manager's role. They are doing something else. And, and I think, you know, you know, we had some real success a few years ago, um, you know, where we really tapped into that with an organization and got some people from right from the sharp end of the business to, to have, because uh, a lot of it's about confidence, but to get that confidence to actually just, just, you know do the talks you know but with no you know with, with not having the accountability on them i suppose that, that they you know that, that you get with management you know up the management tree it's about you know we want you to put a good message over there you know go and do it and they loved it you know and they and they grew as individuals and that's a, that's the thing is that you can you can really see people in an organization just grow because they've um you know because they've given them been given a little bit of a different role to do rather than what they normally do pressing the button on operating the machine yeah so, um, i didn't i didn't ask a question again then i think i think that's you know that's the power of what we're talking about right is is number one by identifying okay what we're trying to achieve then it kind of helps you also think outside the box because it it, it i'm reminded of a, something that um i read in a book by a special forces colonel um, uh, Pete Blaver, and he, you know, he said, how would we organize if we didn't know how to organize? You know, if we didn't already know what we were supposed to do. And, and, you know, often in safety, we do things, oh, you do toolbox meetings or tailgate meetings, the supervisor leads those. Why? Because that's what you do. You know, it's so weird. There's so many things we do in safety just because that's the way we've always done it, even though that's the phrase we hate to hear in safety. Yeah. Um, I think it's time that we push those boundaries and say, okay, what are we actually trying to achieve and how would we achieve that? And, you know, in that process of kind of validating, you get to those kinds of points that you just made that, wait, wouldn't it be better if we had the worker actually do that? Oh yeah, yeah let's do that. And you get kind of that innovation, that creativity able to come to the surface. Yeah, that's right. Pretty powerful. And then, you know, and I, I find that they're, you know, there's some, there's some guys I've met that are just so, that are just so funny and, and you, 
and you just hear them talk about their experiences and talk about their stories and they just stick with you forever and it's you know and that's and that's that is the real power that's the real power when you can get that absolutely yeah it, yeah i think that's that is a the more you can get people telling stories in organizations the more kind of um impact you're going to have and the more sort of the way things are going to the, the better things are going to embed in your organization and that's that's really and so it's like one of those things that's so that people are like oh yeah of course but like to me that is the measure you know that is your leading metric people talk about leading metric all the time telling stories and getting people to share their stories that is the most powerful leading metric there is because stories are how humans sort of relate to their world. We've been telling stories for since we began, right? Yep. Um, and, and this is how we share knowledge. This is how we, you know, come to understand what's expected of us. This is how we learn about our world. It's not, you know, we, we didn't have spreadsheets and stuff like that. Those things help, but the main way we, we change ourselves and our organizations i think is through stories um and so making that a an intentional tool that we use and leverage bringing them to the surface and then spreading them moving them where they need to go is mm -hmm. i think something we need to do a lot more of in safety and how you know i mean how how do we make that happen then you know what 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 sort of tools or what approaches should a health and safety professional take to, to try and get an environment where people are comfortable to, to tell their stories, but it still but it still needs to have credibility. You know, I mean, we don't want people talking about that they went and got drunk down the pub last night. You know, you know, it's got to, it's got to be relevant, isn't it? So, you know, have you have you, have you used any any approaches to to achieve that? Yeah, no. That's, and so, step one is you have to. You know, and this comes back to the idea Amy Edmondson talks about psychological safety and other researchers as well talk a lot about that. Um, you know, we have to kind of create that sort of foundation or that bed. You know, it's like you want what you want to do is you want to create the, the netting so that when people jump off the cliff to tell their scary story about what happened, that they know that they're not going to die. You know what I mean? Yep. Um, and so kind of you have to lay the groundwork to, you know, with, with leadership. And, and part of that, I think, is, and this is, this, you know, comes to the conversation about, like, safety two and things like that. I think it's really asking the question, what is the problem we're trying to solve in safety? Is it bad people or is it work? And, and safety two, safety differently, would say, no, the problem is work. Work is complex. And work is a problem that has to be solved every day. And if that's true, then it begs the question, Okay, how are people solving it? And that, and if we can get leadership to buy into that, then then those stories don't become instances of well, that's just a bad worker. You know, that's a story of someone trying to overcome the problems of work. And so every story can tell us about our work processes and our system. Um, and so step one is kind of laying that foundation, and then step two is okay, how do we communicate that to the workforce in a meaningful way? Well, you know. You really got to like, you know, create sort of a, a like a pilot project almost where a few people can share their stories and then you have leadership come along and say, wow, this is great. This is so good. And, and really follow through and, and sort of fix the problems because you want to show people, you know, that this is actually a safe thing that they can do. They can share these stories and not only can they share them, but it leads to good outcomes. Yeah. Like when you share your story, stuff gets changed, stuff gets done whether something gets fixed or, you know, we, we all learn something or whatever, right? Um, or you, maybe you just get validated as an expert because that alone is something that's motivating where we start to say, wow, I didn't realize how difficult that is. Thank you for the hard work you do mm. on a daily basis. But once you've kind of laid that groundwork, you know, both at the leadership level and the employee level, then you want to start gathering it and how you do it. I mean, the great thing these days is technology is, you know, making it so there's all sorts of ways that you can do that through, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, I've had some people talk about, you know, just, okay, let me just snap a picture with my phone and send it to you. And then we can talk about it later, you know, and then okay, I'll just jot down what you tell me. And that's a story in and of itself. And, and then we figure out, okay, what's the best place for that story? Where should that story go? Mm. How should we share it? 
you know um you could take videos with your phones as well i mean like we have this te this technology that can allow people it's almost like we're democratizing safety um i think we can we can leverage some of that to to get some of these stories coming up and and sort of have like a guiding body whether it's your safety committee or whatever to start looking at these and start saying okay what does this mean what is this telling us mm -hmm. and what can we do with it you know i i think it's, it's something like that no, I think that's really, really powerful. I did, I did a, a short episode um, in the last week or so just about, um, you know, using technology better. And, you know, and it was really about, it was really what I was talking about is set up a WhatsApp group for your site, for your location, and and get the people to um, to post into it about the stuff that's going on. And, 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 it, and it might be good stuff. I mean, you know, it's just as important that it's good stuff that's going on as it is issues and problems. But let's just get start getting start getting that that root of of opening up communication because because if it's an issue it's not a problem it's not, it's an opportunity you know every every problem is an opportunity uh, it's an in it's a way of engaging with the with the guys and the ladies at the sharp end of the business and so if we can make that easy for them but I think without you know without misusing the you know the technology I mean there's there's obviously you don't want people snapping as they're driving a 150 ton dumper, you know, down a whole road, you know, they, you don't want them doing it then, but, um, you know, but you, you know, you want them to, you know, but you do want them to use it because everybody's got it nowadays. Everybody's got the technology pretty much on them full time. So, so let's utilize it. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, again, kind of, we have full circle in our conversation again, um, or a, a different part of the circle, I guess that to me, when people ask, okay, how do we deal with drift in kind of the way I'm thinking about it? what we're talking about right now is one of the main ways I'd recommend that. Okay. Start increasing transparency in the system about how things are getting done. The way to under deal with drift is to first see that it's happening. Right. You know, and so you have to almost in a way kind of D uh, make it, make it not a villain, uh, make people who engage in drift, not villains. You know, and so if you show Pete, if you kind of show it happening in real time, then you, you know, it makes it easier to, to handle. But if you don't know what's happening, there's nothing you can do. Um, so this, these sorts of telling stories about how work gets done, you will see drift. That's, and so that's, that's to me is the way to deal with it. If you wanted to deal with it. And I think the thing with drift, you know, we we, we sort of, we were talking about it, and then we we drifted away from it, and now we're going to drift back to it again. <laughs> <laughs> um, is is you can actually, you know, you can drift one way, and then you can drift the totally opposite way on something, and it, and and both can be right. I mean, that's that's the thing, you know, both ways can be can be right because because that's what it's about. Because there isn't there isn't always, you know, one size fits all to how we do things, you know, and people work around it. Sometimes there may be, an, I was chatting to a guy um, called Josh Bryant down in um, Australia, um, who's, who's been very, very successful at, uh, at improving, improving procedure or improving the, the way that they do things in their business. And, um, you know, and, 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 and it was, you know, it was really interesting listening, listening to, to him talking about, um, you know, just, just how, how many different ways the guys came up but they did they put in some critical controls there were there were some things for certain tasks that they said look you know these are the these are the things that really must happen but outside of that then we will we want you to we want you to be you know have some initiative and, and ingenuity and, and whatever it may be and it was just really yeah. fascinating listening to him and I, and I just thought what a lovely place to work you know one where you you're actually encouraged to to be thinking and not just being told you've got to do this and this and this and this and this. That's just, that's just me. So. No, absolutely. I agree. And, and I kind of, again, it, it, that the reason why people don't do that, I think sometimes is we think about what should happen, but at the end of the day, what is happening is what we're describing all, you know, all, he's doing in that case I would argue is and which is I'm not saying it's bad I'm saying what he's doing is quite good and everybody should be doing it is it is sort of allowing him to know about what's really happening you know um, because that stuff is happening people are showing initiative they just do because humans 
you know, that's, that's part of our humanity is, is kind of, you know, the reason people put stickers all over their hard hats or, you know, put them all over their uh, toolboxes is they want, you know, people want to kind of put their mark in the world and we don't like to be robots um, and do the same thing every day. That's boring. That's awful. Um, and humans don't operate very well in those situations. And so, you know, allowing people to do that and, and saying, yeah, we are happy for you to do that. I just want to be involved. I just want to help, you know, I want to support it at least allows you to be knowledgeable when it does happen, you know? And so, uh, you know, a concept I heard, and I can't remember who said it, you know, there's a term called performance variability that Eric Hallnagel talks about, but what, you know, we're talking about right now is, is sort of an informed variability, mm-hmm. right? Where we're, you know, we, you know, it's, it's, it's to the surface and we know about it and we can, once you know about it, then you're able to talk about it amongst your, your the group. Okay. Is this something we want to keep doing? Is this something that was good, bad, you know, one time thing, or is this something we should do every day? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, it's allowed, it, it makes you smarter, which makes us safer. Whenever I've, um, whenever I've done accident or incident or event in, in investigations, what you want to call it, um, or event learnings, um, I, I'm all, I nearly always hear the words usually, normally, and should. You know, there are three words I hear an awful lot of. You know, it's usually done this way. It's normally done that. It should have been done this. And, I, and I'm just sitting there thinking, you know, really what, you know, when, when somebody when somebody makes that statement, okay, they really want to be sitting back and just thinking, what I'm really saying is here is I don't actually know how that job's done. You know, I'm just making an assumption here. I don't actually know how that job's done. And that almost should become, you know, in in, in my view, one of the uh, you know, one of the, the key the key recommendations, if you want that, as about any accident investigation is the is the management team should find out how this job's done better. <laughs> and, if that, and if that was if that was just put as a standard, if, if that was in law, <laughs> this is a standard recommendation that needs to go into every single accident report or event. event. I think you know, people, people would spend a bit more time actually looking at what's going on rather than just making assumptions. That's my bit. That's my bit. That's, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to chat with the HSE now and say, come on, guys, let's get this, let's get this into the grid off, which is our reporting. Hundred <laughs> percent support it. Totally on board. So hey, look, you know we've um, you know it, it's been really fascinating chatting, and um, and one of the things I really wanted to talk about was was you know there is there is a lot of a lot of um, uh, stuff going on at the moment with respect to this traditional safety and safety differently and hop and all that and. And you know, and I read some of the some of the stuff on LinkedIn, and I'm pretty disappointed with what I read from from people. You know, how you know, and it's really you know, just attacking, attack, and what do we what do we need to do as a as a profession to to really to really sort sort this out and actually start moving forward in a in a positive way. Step one, I think, is we have to get rid of the us versus them, and and I'm not going to point fingers at, at any one side, both sides are, 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 are contributing to the problem, right? Um, you know, the, the sort of us versus them dichotomy is extremely unhelpful. Um, and, you know, so I, I think everybody in this profession wants the same thing right? We're all on the same team. We want the same goals. We're, you know, we want people to be safe. Now we may have different, different definitions of what that means, but I think we all would agree that none of us wants anybody to get hurt, you know? And so we're all moving in that direction. And so these other, whatever idea, theory, model, whatever that you buy into, whether it's hop, safety differently, safety two, BBS, you know, know zero accident whatever um it we, we're all moving in that direction so i think that's number one we have to understand we're all on the same team what we're what we're arguing over is not about who is the most moral or immoral in that process what we're arguing over is what approach is going to be best and and you know i'm a big believer that actually <laughs> regardless of what people think like i definitely lean more towards the the safety to and safety differently type approach 
But if you actually understand the logic of those beliefs, they would both say that, okay, a one size fits all approach doesn't work. You know, the approach has to match the situation. Mm -hmm. And so what's really important, and this gets back to our discussion on, um, you know, education and training for safety professionals is we have to understand what the logic is underlying all these ideas and beliefs. Because too often I see people say, well, you know, I just use whatever works for me in that moment, which kind of makes some sense. But like, the problem is, I don't know that safety people are really good at identifying what does and doesn't work per se because if all we say is hey i didn't have an accident today well does that actually mean it worked Uh, i don't think so so i think we have to understand the underlying logic and ideas behind these theories which then will enable us to say okay here's a situation where that would work you know bbs works when x y and z are present right the theory says if you have x y and z then you could use this. Okay, do I have X, Y, and Z? If yes, this is a suitable tool to use in that situation. So, you know, safety, you know, two, for example, is based on the idea that uh, uh, work is complex and, you know, the more complex the work, the more that success and failure are going to emerge from the same conditions. And so we can learn from everyday work, you know, in addition to learning from failures. Um, Okay, so if I have a very complex job, that's probably a situation where I should apply that line of thinking and I should use the tools that are inherent in that. Mm -hmm. So to me, it's about understanding the underlying ideas and theories, not about attacking the individuals. And too often it becomes attacking the individuals. And that's pretty unfortunate. And I'm not saying that, you know, I've done it always right. Um, But uh, I I definitely, my hope is, is that we can get past all this then you know acrimonious discussion and actually get to a place where we can have reasonable conversations with each other because we all understand that we're all trying to do the same thing mm-hmm. you know we're on the same team if that makes sense mm. i mean i think you know there's you know there's there's so many different ways of doing all sorts of things you know in in, in business that there doesn't have to be one size fits all you know and and, and it doesn't it, what it doesn't work even even an organization you know they will they will find that people respond to different things on different sides if they're a multi-sided organization you know and, and different people you know people in different parts of a country you know have got different have got different beliefs around things because of the the way that they've been brought up and it's just about it's rather than trying to be sort of static and, and, and rigid and say you've got to do this it's about understanding the, the group and the environment that you are you are working with and and making making their their lot as 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 good as we can you know that that's and if you know and if we can achieve that then 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 that's got to be that's got to be where we want to go yeah so. i think it, i totally agree with that but i i really hope that people who hear this see it that as a challenge to them not as an an excuse to not dig deeper mm-hmm. you know and and by that i mean so I, an example i'm thinking of is is in psychology you know you have the kind of research psychology experimental psychology and you have clinical psychology which is more applied and one of the complaints is often that clinical psychologists don't usually have one theoretical thing. You know, they're, they're kind of melding multiple theories. They're using what works kind of like we're talking about, but when they do that, they're not doing it willy nilly. They're not doing just based on common sense or, or, you know, whatever they're doing it based on an understanding of, okay, this theory would apply in this. Okay. In this situation, I'm going to use family systems theory. Whereas in this situation, I'm going to use elements of positive psychology. Um, because of X, Y, and Z. And so they, they have a knowledge of the theories and they use them to that knowledge to apply them appropriately in that situation, at least hopefully. Right. And in the same way, when safety people say, well, you know, it's, it, you know, there's no one size fits all. And, 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 you know, so I'm just going to use whatever makes sense to me in the moment. Great. Totally agree. Just make sure you're taking the time to actually read the material to know what options are available to you. So you know what tools you have and how to use those tools. Right? Don't use that as an excuse to say, I don't have to do the work. I don't yep. have to do the research. No, we have, that means you have to do more work. If there's multiple tools that could work, you need to know them all. I really, I really like that. I really like that. 
Oh, good. Ron, so how, how can people get hold of you then if they want to find out a little bit more about you? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, you know, uh, they can also, I mean, if they want, they can go to my website uh, for my company, reflectcg.com. Um, but probably LinkedIn's the easiest way. I'm, you know, I'm always up for a good conversation. So reach out anytime. <laughs> That's fantastic. Hey, thank you ever so much for uh, for coming on the show. Oh, Colin, it's my pleasure. It's your fun to talk to. <laughs> Brilliant. Ron, thank you so much for, for coming on the show. Um, absolutely fascinating talking to you. Um, really loved uh, what you had to say about, about drift and how, in actual fact, you know, we when we look at drift, we, you know, we, we often see it as a negative when something goes wrong. But in actual fact, you know, it's just the way that work happens and, you know, and people people change the way that they do things to to accommodate what's going on around them, you know, what's uh, the context that they're working, they're working within. Um, it was also really, really interesting to to just hear about the goal conflicts and how that can put, uh, you know, can put pressure into 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 the way that people, I suppose, um, perform. I don't know if that's the right word, really, but it's you know it's you know there's there's so many different pressures that are put onto to individuals and and people are making calls all the time, you know, and it really is about about management in business to actually take that step back and actually and actually get their you know, get their goals lined up so that they can actually work alongside each other rather than working against each other. Um, I loved as well what you were saying about, you know, about, you know, make it easy for people to do things the right way, you know, so to, you know, make it difficult for them to do things the wrong way. But if they do get things wrong, then, um, you know, they make sure that nobody dies. And a, that's probably the crux of, of what good health and safety is about. And, and, and it can be difficult because, you know, it's knowing how these things can pan out and, you know, what can be the, uh, the factor that actually causes somebody to, to get seriously injured or killed. But that's why we've got to look at these tasks. You know, that's why we've got to spend time going out and, you know, really concentrating on the things that can cause serious injury or death. Um, you know, I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to chatting with you again in the near future. And, uh, you know, once again, you know, thank you so much for, for coming on the show. Hey, I'll be really interested in what people feel about this, uh, this episode. And, um, you know, please, please feedback to us, feedback through LinkedIn, you know, come on to the, uh, the interest in, uh, health and safety community on, on Facebook and LinkedIn. And, um, you know, let's start, let's start talking about it. Let's start having a debate about, uh, about these absolutely fantastic discussions that are going on. I speak to you really soon. Bye-bye now. Thanks for listening to the Interest in Health and Safety podcast. You can follow and engage on Facebook and LinkedIn by searching the Interesting Health and Safety Community or go to www.influentialmg.com. And remember, let's make health and safety as important as everything else we do in business. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guests and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilised in the real world as the only solution available, as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No parts of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording or otherwise, without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Colin Nottage.